You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. For 10 years, across a thousand episodes and a quarter billion listens, my podcast has elevated what you knew about the capabilities of your mind and body. And because we're at the 10-year anniversary, I'm evolving Bulletproof Radio even further in my plan to upgrade humanity, and I'm evolving myself as well. I invite you to expand your knowledge, explore your performance, and embrace your possibility with The Human Upgrade. You'll meet bright thinkers and radical doers who push the boundaries of science, technology, personal development, and human performance in every way imaginable. Every guest you listen to, every topic you learn about, every new idea you discover on this podcast is there to move you forward. Join me on this next evolution to upgrade your mind, body, and life. And be sure that you're subscribed to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey on your favorite podcast platform so you hear every single episode. My commitment to you is that the time you spend with me on The Human Upgrade will always return more value to you than you spent on it. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey, formerly known as Bulletproof Radio. Today is going to be a really fun interview because we're talking about something you probably haven't heard of, even if you're a cool biohacker like me or like our Upgrade Collective live audience members. You've heard of probiotics because, hey, uh, what the heck, I've been talking about those for a long time and so have many other people and you can buy them even at a normal grocery store, some healthy gut bacteria. And if you read Fast This Way or Superhuman, I talk a lot about prebiotics, the food for them. But do you know what a postbiotic is? Probably not. Well, you will by the time we're done with the show today. I'm going to dig into studies on what happens after your gut bacteria digest something and then look at what it makes and what that can do to renew your mitochondria. And our expert today is Dr. Anurag Singh, who's an MD, PhD, and the chief medical officer from a company called Amazentis S.A., He's designed big clinical development and translational research, which means he looks at the science stuff and says, how do we turn it into real world stuff that you can actually use? And we're going to dig deep on mitophagy and how to turn that on. What the heck is mitophagy and why would you want to listen to something about that? Because replacing the dim bulbs or the dim batteries in your cells is kind of important if you want to live a long time. You want to function at your best today, and you need to start that process even when you're young so that you don't get old. And if you're old, you want to turn that up so that you can get young. It's just harder to do once you've already accumulated a lifetime of, uh, of well, dim bulbs. You don't want to be one of those. Dr. Singh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Pleasure to be here. You're joining from Switzerland, where you spend most of your time. Thank you for staying up late uh, for the Upgrade Collective uh, and for me to make this work. And I want to know, I've looked at your career, and I mean, you've worked for big companies like Nestle. You've authored 30 articles in science journals. You're a a super science nerd. I don't know if in Switzerland that's an insult, but here that's a compliment. So... Uh, but you spent now seven years looking at just one compound called urolithin A. And I've covered it a little while back, maybe about a year or so ago. We talked about it briefly. But I want to dig deeper in it because the idea of postbiotics has intrigued me a lot. 
what got you into just one postbiotic for that period of time, given that you've done a lot of cool stuff? Yeah. So, you know, you, you summarize my career well. It's I've spent the last 15 plus years running uh, clinical trials in the nutrition and consumer health industry, mostly on prebiotics and probiotics to start with, you know, big, big consumer health companies such as Nestle Health. Uh, after that, what I realized was that it, it was not the symbiotic bacteria in your gut or what they needed to, you know, to survive, which is the prebiotics. But uh, what got me really interested uh, was the end result of this bacterial, you know, sort of uh, metabolism. And that's uh, this beautiful metabolite uh, that was discovered at uh, the Swiss Institute of Technology, uh, in, of course, and then from there it commercialized by Amazentis, which is the company uh, now I work for. And so seven years back, uh, it was a lab discovery. And, and, and I'm trained as a doctor, a clinician, and then, you know, as a scientist in, in the U.S., and, and I often see scientists uh, make a discovery and then say, okay, let's move on to the next big one and forget about it. And, and the doctors, well, th they take a long time to realize what's happening in the science field to come to, you know, 10 plus years. And so I said, hey, this is something big. You know, I can actually take this forward from the lab discovery scale to, to clinical science and to the breakfast table and, and, and daily life of people. And that's what we have done here for the last seven plus years. Um, yeah. So you, you got into this one because you're interested in uh, in mitophagy and you sort of bounced around. And I, I have to admire that. Uh, I have had the great pleasure to know a lot of what I'm going to affectionately call crazy inventors or crazy scientists. Not tinfoil hat wearing crazy, but they're so into invention and creation that the idea that if you make something that no one ever uses or sees or they only see it in a, in a journal article that got referenced 14 times. So you feel good about yourself. It, it's like chasing likes on Instagram, but for, but, but for smart people, you got it, right? <laughs> so you, you said, all right, I'm, I can actually do the hard work of getting people to do something that works instead of just to make stuff that works and then throw it over the edge of a cliff and then go make something else, which is kind of one of my motivating things. I'll curate as much of those things as I can find and catch and then talk about. So I, I just want to offer my uh, my respect and congratulations for deciding that you're going to do that hard work of taking one thing and moving it actually to the goal, to the finish line, instead of, uh, like you were saying earlier, kind of bounce around and, and do a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, my mentor always said research is basically two words, re and search, right? So you got to keep going back to the drawing table and asking the same question in different people in different subjects and different populations. And that's what we've done. We've, you know, now this is, we are doing our fifth or sixth clinical study with this beautiful molecule. And, and a lot of times in nutrition world, uh, people put extracts and blends of probiotics together and they just give it to, to, to healthy people and expect magic to happen. Here, we've actually done the deep dive of the science and the, you know, hitting how this molecule hits uh, mitophagy and mitochondrial health and then bringing it uh, to human translation, I think, and, and to commercialization. As you said, this is really the holy grail for, for uh, real world evidence. Can you walk me through mitophagy and what it is and then why you got into into that out of all the fields you could look into? If you've been following Bulletproof Radio for a while, you know that I spent well over a million dollars to biohack my life and I'm a profoundly different human as a result of it. What's the most impactful biohack I've ever used? If you're thinking Bulletproof Coffee, you're almost right. That's not it. It's 40 years of Zen. 40 Years of Zen is a five-day intensive brain upgrade program 
where you get the best possible brain performance and you learn to access states that normally take decades of meditation. 40 Years of Zen uses new technology that exists only at 40 Years of Zen that we built from the ground up, multiple neuroscientists, multiple facilitators, an executive chef, and custom protocols to upgrade your brain and your life. We even add curated supplements to the stack to allow you to train about two and a half times deeper and further than you could go if your brain wasn't working better biologically. Visit 40yearszen.com and see if the program's right for you. Can you walk me through mitophagy and what it is and then why you got into, into that out of all the fields you could look into? Yeah, so, so mitophagy uh, is basically uh, recycling of the faulty mitochondria. So, you know, as we age, uh, our cells accumulate uh, uh, faulty mitochondria. Now, in the life cycle of a mitochondria, what you have is basically you, you get new growth of, back, of uh, mitochondria, and these are called, this is a process called as mitochondrial biogenesis. As you age, these healthy mitochondria, they accumulate uh, free radicals and, and reactive oxygen species, and, and they start to lose shape, and they start stop communicating well with each other, much like, you know, think of it like battery. You know, if battery is not wired with each other, you're not really producing enough energy. And so this sort of recycling process uh, kind of, uh, as you put it, you know, dim bulbs uh, as you age. And, and that's uh, what this molecule urolithin A does is it revs up the recycling. So think of your recycling, your, you know, your trash can in your house. Uh, if you're accumulating waste in it, but never cleaning it out, your house won't stem, uh, smell very nicely. And that's uh, kind of what uh, mitophagy is. You need to have mitophagy up and running as we age so that, you know, you're creating space for newer healthy mitochondria to, to always produce energy, which is ATP. That idea of, of looking as recycling is, is really elegant. Uh, when you look at any of the anti-aging things uh, that are out there, not any of them, most of them anyway, um, there's some aspect of recycling there. You've doubtlessly seen, probably Bruce Lipton is the one who talks about it the most, but lots of people reference a study where uh, a researcher kept a cell culture alive for a ridiculous amount of time by changing the medium all the time until his grad students got drunk and forgot to change the water, and, and lo and behold, the experiment ends. It seems like that's happening inside each of the major components of our cells. It's happening extracellularly. So there's a lot of cleanup work to do if you want to stay young. And over time, you're going to accumulate metals. You're going to accumulate dysfunctional cells and all of that. Are you feeling hopeful that we're going to be able to do enough cleaning of all the different systems, including obviously mitophagy, but all the other stuff that we're going to be able to extend human lifespan that way? Well, I'm very optimistic that we'll be able to uh, extend human health span, um, which is, you know, when you're 90, you're able to go about your activities of daily living. Now, how that translates into extended lifespan, this is something uh, um, where active research is going on with, you know, what is the diet and certain, you know, blue zones where people live longer. But I am very optimistic that you, you can be a fit 90-year-old and, and, you know, play with your grandchild uh, much I don't know, Dr. Singh. I think that's a bit of a cop-out. So I, I, I'm going to share a little story here. Uh, back when I was studying uh, what we called computer information systems, it was one of the first degrees you could get in, in what would now be called artificial intelligence. And I asked my professors, hey, why don't we just call this what it is? And they said, oh, we can't call it artificial intelligence because no one believes artificial intelligence is real. It'll never happen. <laughs> That wasn't that long ago, okay? That was certainly within my lifetime, right? It was only a decade or two. 
And so when I hear that, oh, we're going to extend uh, health span, it, it's sort of like that, oh, we shouldn't really say what we're doing because people not, might not believe us. Do you really think that a healthy 90-year-old who's playing with his or her grandkids isn't going to live longer as well? No, that's what I'm saying. You need to first, first uh, you know, you need to rev up the machinery to make uh, the motor run well. And when the motor runs well, maybe the car will, you know, have a longer lifespan. So I, I, I'm just saying that I'm very optimistic that the data today says that health span can be extended. I think that ultimately may translate to extended lifespan, as you're saying. So you're hedging your bets so no one thinks you're crazy. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think uh, given the, the knowledge we have today, uh, we probably can realistically extend human lifespan. Um, but, but what I'm saying is that as, as a focus, as a clinician and physician scientist, my first aspiration, I mean, there's many layers, right? You want to go to the moon before you want to go to Mars. Uh, so right now we just want to aim to, to get to the moon and then I'm sure we'll get to Mars. I, I like that. So it, it's a goal. We'll probably get there and when and exactly how is, uh, um, is it's open for interpretation. I, I hear you on that. And I actually agree with you there. I'm just willing to say within the next hundred years, we'll get there. So that's good enough for me because mm -hmm. I'm planning to be there. Okay. Right. How old do you think you're going to live? Um, uh, I, I, I think I will, I want to <laughs> beat my father and my grandfather, uh, in terms, they both live to a 80 plus And, and so, if I can, uh, you know, as a third generation outlive them, I'll be happy with that. Excellent. So you want to do do better than the previous generation. And I certainly expect my kids to outlive me. Hopefully they can double my age if our tech keeps doing what it can do and we uh, don't destroy the soil and the insect life on the planet because I'm pretty sure they're going to need it. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> but those are different issues that may affect longevity. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'll live in bubbles on Mars. Just ask Elon. And by the way, perchlorate, Elon, perchlorate different issue. Now, when we eat something, we know that our gut bacteria will transform it. And when I say eat something, we're talking about pharmaceutical drugs. It turns out many, many of the actions of pharmaceutical drugs are mediated by your gut bacteria. Uh, and we're, fig we're figuring that out now. If you don't have the right gut bacteria, this drug doesn't work nearly as well or may not work at all. Yet some drugs work regardless of your gut bacteria. It all, it all depends. And then we get into all these natural compounds. I'm well known for saying, hey, maybe you should have more polyphenols in your diet because they do all sorts of good stuff. Polyphenols are colored compounds, if you guys are listening and you're new to the Upgrade Collective and new to the show. And colored compounds that give red things their color and dark things their color, like black rice or black coffee, uh, tea, chocolate, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, pomegranates, which is where we're going to go deep today. Um, pomegranates make something called allergic acid. And I'm one of the few people actually knows that I don't have gut bacteria that convert allergic acid into the active compound that gives pomegranates most of their good benefits. There's two reasons pomegranates work. One is allergic acid. The other one is a PON1 enzyme if it's fresh pomegranate juice, which is a detoxing enzyme that's probably not as important as the other thing. So I used to have a pomegranate tree in my backyard. Didn't matter how much I ate. I could raise my blood sugar, but I couldn't raise my levels of beneficial mitochondrial compounds. So some people can, some people can't. The biohacker in me says, huh, what would happen if we could just take the compound that the bacteria make? Wouldn't that be amazing? And we have here with Dr. Singh, one of the guys who's been studying this for seven years. And can you help me explain this uh, 
the discovery process for you saying, wait a minute, how, how did we know this was the one? Why Eurolithin A, mm-hmm. which by the way is a terrible marketing name. You guys should have some. Oh, wait, you do. <laughs> Timeline is the marketing name for it. But Eurolithin A, why, uh, why that compound out of all the other stuff you could have looked at? Eurolithin A, why, uh, why that compound out of all the other stuff you could have looked at? So, well, there's a great story behind how that name came. Uh, Eurolithins were actually discovered maybe back 40 years back in 1980. Uh, they were discovered in uh, beavers, in the, in, uh, in the urine of beavers. So, you know, uh, the nerdy professor who discovered it uh, said, well, I discovered in urine. So that's the euro part. And, and he saw them as crystals. So um, the, that's the kind of euro lit. Uh, now, now beavers, we wonder why this discovery was made in beavers. And, and well, beavers eat uh, a lot of uh, tree bark of oak trees. And, and these oak trees have a lot of polyphenols, uh, your favorite topic there, Dave. Uh, so uh, typically elegitanins. And so that's how uh, this uh, molecule was first discovered. Now, Amazentus, uh, fast forward 30 years, uh, Amazentus has been studying elegitanins in pomegranate for almost 14 years now. We started uh, with the theory that we could bring the, you know, the deep science approach to nutrition and natural product discovery. And so we started by just deconstructing the pomegranate because, you know, the last 30 years, there's been so many studies and health benefits associated with pomegranate. And out of the hundreds of compounds that we put, uh, you start aging research, typically in uh, using worms and animal models. Uh, when we put the elegitanins or elagic acid, as you were mentioning on these worms, that didn't seem to be extending the lifespan of uh, of the worms. But uh, when we said, okay, let's try these sort of uh, byproducts of the metabolism of the gut microbiome called urolithin A, and we sprinkled that on the worms and they started living by about 45% longer. And that set the alarm bells ringing and it was sort of the eureka moment. And from there, we gave it to old rodents uh, who were, you know, for in just six weeks, we started seeing about 40, 50% increase in aerobic endurance uh, and increase in grip strength by about 10%. And, and the, the native polyphenol compounds were not doing it. So that sort of triggered the whole discovery around urolithins and, and how we focused and zoomed in and started moving. It was really, you know, as you put it, this postbiotic, uh, the process, uh, you need two biases to really produce urolithin. You need to eat the right diet. So, you, you know, as you said, you can eat uh, fruits and nuts and drink a glass of juice, and then you need your gut microbiome. Um, I can also share, I, uh, I have tested myself and, and I don't have, I can drink six liters of pomegranate juice. My body will not produce this molecule. So we said, okay, there's, this is how we're going to move forward. That there's a need for supplementation. What would happen if instead I went out and I found some species of bacteria that converted elagic acid Mm-hmm. from raspberries or more heavily in pomegranates and converted that into uh, urolithin A. Could I just take that probiotic and expect uh, it to work? Conceptually, it sounds appealing. Uh, believe it or not, we have spent a long years uh, looking in that direction as well. Uh, and it's not easy because our gut microbiome is is very complex ecosystem with 
hundreds or millions of different species interacting with that with each other and, and and they need to be interacting in perfect harmony to to release these postbiotics which is sort of the way i look at it as is the perfect gut health uh, uh, relationship with these microbiome and, and so it's not one bacteria it's not one strain that you can isolate and give it's really got to be multi-species so you know i i think you can probably conceptually find that strain or probiotic that could do it but the pro the process will be so inefficient that the best way and that's the way we have come up with in the company is to short circuit it and provide the postbiotic which is your latinate directly in in a, in a pill or in a food product so what you're saying is that if someone took a probiotic that was actually stable enough to be delivered to their house and then to make it through the acid in their stomach and it took root, or maybe they just stick the probiotic in the other end, which is actually probably a better strategy for a lot of probiotics. It's just uh, less attractive to take a pill that way because <laughs> it's not a pill anymore. So let's say you could get it to take root in the gut. Then the environment around it it'll be outcompeted by other things unless you have a constant supply of pomegranate juice and there isn't something more aggressive. So it's really, it's really a difficult thing to do to say, how do I balance this stuff? And it's one thing to say, how do I get what my body considers is enough for me to live a normal life? You know, like your parents who made it uh, into their eighties. Um, well, you're like, okay, I want to do better than that. So what you would do is say, okay, I want more of this compound. If they had pomegranate and they have the gut bacteria, that's not enough to matter. Mm -hmm. So now you take urolithin A uh, as a purified compound, and that's something that works for everyone then, right? Because it's direct, unless, is there a genetic susceptibility to which pathways for mitophagy are going to be activated by urolithin A, or is pretty much it just works? Yeah, pretty much it works. It uh, doesn't matter what levels of urolithin, whether you're a producer, natural producer, or, or, or not. In our clinical studies, uh, we have both you know, healthy people who, who come in and, and we see great effects on, on muscle and muscle strength and physical performance. And this, so yeah, works for me. If you compare a dose of mitopure, and this is the urolithin A stuff uh, from, from Thailand, a, a dose of that, it comes in a little packet or a pill. Mm -hmm. How much pomegranate would you have to eat or drink in order to equate that dose? Yeah, that's the study we just published. Uh, and, uh, you will actually need to eat uh, drink about uh, six glasses, so about a liter and a half of, of juice to be equivalent if you were you know, blessed with the natural microbiome. Uh, to to get the equivalent of 500 milligrams, which is in is in this uh, food sachet here. So yeah, wow. Um, so six glasses a day. Um, I, having been a raw vegan, guys, I, I know I I it's a shameful part of my past. I do my best not to talk about that. I'm I'm embarrassed that I did such harm to my health. Uh, and I did such harm to the planet uh, by not supporting grass-fed agriculture. But those are different things. I did eat substantial amounts of fruit and lots of pomegranate juice because I had a tree in my backyard. And strangely enough, my blood sugar wasn't very well managed because six glasses of pomegranate juice has enough sugar to raise your triglycerides and probably give you fatty liver if you drank that much every single day because fructose is a major cause of fatty liver after alcohol. So that doesn't seem like a good strategy to get <laughs> mitophagy by overdosing on high, high amounts of fructose. At least I don't think it is. Uh, 
that's all accurate, right? Yeah. The, the other thing that's perfect. The other thing we saw was, well, maybe if you provide the pomegranate juice as a perfect diet for, you know, to, to the people, uh, maybe the gut microbiome uh, will now see it and, and, and start converting. And even when you provide this amount of pomegranate juice uh, with a sort of a perfect diet, uh, we do see somehow the microbiome evolving in certain amount of people. And, and, and from 2%, you can maximum push this percentage. Uh, if, let's say if we studied the 100 people, you can have about 40% of the people, 30 to 40% of the people now making it. But th- those amounts are so variable, so sub-therapeutic that you will never really be able to harness the, the health impact that you will get by direct supplementation. And that's really, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to share the paper that we just uh, uh, authored and, and shared with your audience because I think it makes for great reading. All right, I'll put that up in the show note links on DaveAsprey.com because it's it, it, it's fascinating. And if you're saying, look, I'm not interested in the research, just tell me what to do. Well, the bottom line here is the product is called MitoPure, and you take a packet of this stuff. On the last podcast I did about it, you can put it in your coffee if you want to. It's heat stable. Just confirm that with you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's very, very stable. You know, we've, I still take pills from like, I don't know, three, four years back, and I still get great uh, absorption by availability. So it's very stable. Okay, good. So you can't do that. I will tell you, I got tired of raspberry flavor in my coffee. I, I like my coffee with butter. <laughs> so the fact that uh, Mitopure makes uh, capsules is convenient for me, but the raspberry stuff is nice and it's got some other prebiotics in it, I believe, as well. So that's a, a good thing. I sent the powder out to people who are in the Dave Asprey box. Go to DaveAsprebox.com. And, and every quarter I send out a box full of cool stuff worth way more than you pay for it. So people in the Upgrade Collective who are members um, of the box have definitely given it a try. And I'm seeing all the comments here saying, I like it. It's the real deal. And uh, I, I do have to say, I take it the vast majority of days every now and then I miss something. But I want to know. In fact, several members are asking, what's the best time of day to turn on mitophagy? Because we we know a lot about circadian timing of vitamins and vitamin D in the morning, magnesium in the morning, and maybe at night, but certainly in the morning. When do I want to do uh, when do I want to do timeline? Is is this like during a fast, even though it has some raspberry powder, end of a fast, and morning, night? What's your take? Yeah, so all our clinical studies uh, are done where, where we see great health improvements in, in muscle strength and mitochondrial health. They're done first thing in the morning. So uh, participants usually take it first thing in the morning in a fasted state uh, just before taking their breakfast. And, and, and the idea is that, it is that you know, uh, you, you peak the absorption. Uh, if, if you know the kinetics of absorption of this beautiful molecule, is it peaks about six to eight hours after the intake. So, you know, it's giving sort of, uh, it's hitting the peak when you're at the peak daily activity uh, in a day and uh, yeah fasting is overnight fasting is also sort of known to to be inducing autophagy and mitophagy so sort of uh, yeah take it uh, and amplify with uh, mitopure in the morning so during a fast yeah during a fast it will work yeah and i think there's what 10 calories or something in a packet so it's not enough yeah it's really nothing i i think uh it's uh, hardly got any sugar, uh, so I think uh, probably. I don't think it's going to raise insulin in in any way that would shift mTOR. I haven't measured it, but it's such a small amount. So yeah, people are saying, wouldn't it break a fast, guys? It doesn't look like I. I don't think it would, um, but I haven't measured with uh, one of my glucose meters. I've thrown it in my coffee during a fast and seen no no difference, but I wasn't specifically studying. So just that's that. with the powder. You know, you know, we also have the pills, as you said. Yeah. You, you can pop two pills, and and you wouldn't. Uh, 
yeah, it's, that won't break a fast with the pills. Um, I, that's what I do now. Um, after I used all the packets uh, that I had, I had like six months worth of packets and to be really clear, um, this is one of the superstar anti-aging supplements that I plan to be taking daily for a long period of time, just based on the, the strength of the research. And I do about a hundred pills a day, 150. Sometimes if I'm traveling, uh, some of those are because they're large molecules like magnesium or glutathione or something, but, uh, definitely this is in my stack and I'm expecting it to be there for a very long period of time because of my aging goals. So I, I basically only talk about stuff that I think is worthwhile and that I'd be willing to do, but I want to know something you've done seven, seven trials on the stuff now. We are on, on our sixth trial. Oh, you're yeah. on your six. Okay. Seven years, six trials. Okay. Uh, how are you measuring mitochondrial health? Because I had upgrade labs, I'm helping people train and improve it, but measuring it is is really a pain. So what's the mechanism there? It's not easy from a from a scientific or clinical assessment. So we measure two ways in our trials, the mitochondrial health. Uh, we either do some uh, biopsies uh, in the muscle, which is, well, I can imagine it's not the easiest to do in, in real world, uh, in clinical yeah, settings. Yeah, those kind of hurt. Uh, but we look at uh, mitochondrial gene signatures. We look at respiration in live muscle. Uh, so that's what we do. That's the, the let's say, the, the most validated way. Then we do what is called as magnetic resonance spectroscopy, uh, which is non-invasive, and which is basically you go in a in an MRI like setup and you exercise in in a limb MRI and, and as you exercise you will your ATP levels in that muscle that you are studying or the brain uh, will go down and then you see how fast the ATP is coming back uh, and how fast it comes is really a measure of your mitochondrial health um, involves heavy machinery involves uh, having a uh, magnetic scanners that's seven tesla and all uh, the other sort of old school way I- is to look at biomarkers which is something we, we have been investing a lot of uh, um, time to study we've been looking at a panel of molecules uh, in, in the blood called acyl carnitins uh, that that basically are involved in fat oxidation and so they, they are sort of de facto markers of uh, good mitochondrial health uh, if you really had to sort of go at a high level, you could look at your VO2 uh, as well as a de facto marker. That's what we do at Upgrade Labs. We've got some proprietary tech for that. But that's a pain. You're on a bike. You have to be fasted, breathing through a mask. It, it's not one of those things you're going to do unless you're really a nerd, right? Right, right. Yeah, so I, I think there's a, still a long way to go uh, to crack that holy grail of what's the perfect biomarker of mitochondrial health. But yeah, I mean... In real life, you you know you'll know from fatigue and energy levels down to your VO two, and then at the you know molecular level to to these biomarkers I was mentioning. And longtime listeners have probably heard me talk about acetyl L carnitine as something you might want to take when you're on the bulletproof diet, or you're switching to a high fat diet, or you just want mitochondrial function. You mentioned members of that family. I think that would probably change test results if people were supplementing that, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's what we see as well in our, stu- in our studies that hopefully some of them will also get uh, published uh, very soon. Okay, very cool. And what about urine organic acids? Useful? Mm, no, we haven't really seen them. Uh, we look at some mitochondrial Krebs cycle metabolites uh, in addition. Succinic acid, things like that. Things like that. Uh, All right. Yeah. 
So I'm wondering how many of our audience is completely like, what the hell are they talking about? They're, they're bored or how many of my <laughs> functional medicine doctors jumping up and down in their cars going, someone finally said succinic acid. Uh, but it's, it's fascinating because I, I'm going a little deep with you there. Yeah. I've written a major New York times bestseller about how to enhance mitochondrial function yet measuring it is always sort of you know, looking at the shadow of it instead of looking at it directly, looking at evidence it was there, looking at smoke instead of the fire. You, in fact, that's the best analogy I can think of. Yeah. Um, okay. And you're saying the best way is those acylcarnitines. Yeah, from a biomarkers. Uh, I mean, the best way is uh, ultimately to, lo- to look at ATP um, in, in real time with imaging and, and, and those tests, you know, I think from going from a from imaging to something that is, um, you know, point of care will take some time. All right. Uh, I, I think for all of our listeners, I don't have an answer for you guys about mitochondrial health, but when you have a clinical researcher <laughs> with a massive NMR equipment, they can do it. Or you have some of the gear we have down in LA at one of our research piece of equipment for VO2. Uh, it's not VO2 max. It's a different algorithm. So it's hard to do it is the short answer. But the easy way is how do you feel when you wake up in the morning? <laughs> do you have athletic endurance? Does your brain work all the time? If so, your mitochondria are probably working better. But here's my question for you about uh, urolithin A or mitopure. There are some supplements that I'll take um, that are direct stimulators of ATP creation and mitochondrial stuff. And you feel it like, yeah, even MCT oil changes the amount of electrons available mm-hmm. um, because it carries more than sugar. So you're like, all right, I've got, you know, I've got myself back today. I, my, my brain is where I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I don't get a buzz <laughs> from MitoPure. Mm-hmm. Do you, how long does it take to feel a change in mitophagy? Because, you know, if you change a, a light bulb and you have a million of them and you, you change, you know, 1% a day, you're not going to notice a change in brightness, maybe ever, because it's a slow change. What's the rate of change when people start using MitoPure? Yeah, so well, what we have seen in our studies, and then uh, I'll mention some of the folks I ch- chat with who are on the product. Uh, so in our clinical studies, around one month after or four weeks after, we start noticing um, biologically uh, relevant changes. So uh, changes that you would expect from exercise regimens of, you know, uh, many years, uh, that's the level of, you know, impact on mitochondrial um, gene signatures or biomarkers. And then about two months, we really start seeing about 10% uh, improvements in VO2 and uh, in um, things like uh, muscle strength would take a little bit longer than four months because, Physical performance and and um, improving muscle strength takes time. It's not you know on off that in in a week you will improve your muscle strength. It's a it's a constant remodeling. You have to clean the waste out. You have to create new mitochondrial uh, biogenesis, and you have to create those mitochondria need to be then efficient. So it takes about I would say about a couple of months. Okay, a couple months, and this is with daily use of the recommended dose. Is it body weight dependent? I, the reason I'm asking is right now, given how ripped I am, I'm around 230. I, I vary between like 210 and 230, depending on what experiments I'm doing and other stuff like that. Uh, I have very large legs, so it's easy to do a few squats every day, and magically I put on muscle, but it's all, you know, all in, just makes my pants not fit. So most of the supplements I take, they're meant to be a safe, dose for a 90 pound woman. <laughs> and that's what we have to do with supplement companies. So I usually double dose things. Um, should I be doing that as a larger person with my BM? Let's see. I, uh, my BMR is something like 2,900 calories a day. Does that mean I just need a higher dose or is it 
sort of you, you take it and it works regardless of your body weight. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Um, my BMR is something like 2,900 calories a day. Does that mean I just need a higher dose or is it sort of you, you take it and it works regardless of your body weight? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. It's a great question. Uh, we have seen impacts at the 500 milligram dose on muscle strength and on mitochondrial health and cellular health. Now we have, you know, we've done what is called as dose escalation study. So you, you take a cohort of people, you give them a low dose and then you raise the dose and then keep on doing. So we've done that till two grams. Uh, the best data we have is actually on one gram, uh, which means double the dose. Uh, that, That's what I was doing just because I always double the dose. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So th that improves uh, mobility. You have more bioenergetics. You, you, you're walking better. You are, uh, as I said, the VO2, uh, 500 milligrams is, is, is a, and a one gram is also a very safe dose. I mean, we have uh, data on this uh, molecule that you can, up it. There is no uh, limit to it where you will get a, a safety signal. So um, I would say, yeah, if, if you want to try out uh, upping the dose, sure. By means, I, I take uh, you know double the dose myself. You take double the dose as well. Yeah. Uh, it, this, uh, this is a very different situation. Um, uh, years ago, I interviewed a guy from Vanderbilt University. I call him Dr. Nicotine. He did the first study of pharmaceutically separated pure nicotine versus using tobacco. And he was looking at Alzheimer's disease studies. And that came out in 1986 and, and showed a reversal of Alzheimer's disease. My hypothesis would be probably through PGC1A um, effects. But who knows? Maybe it's for some other reason. But at, at the end of the interview, I said, have you ever used nicotine? Like, what's, what's your favorite form? Are you taking some now? And he says, no, I've never used it. I want to keep my research pure. And I'm like, no, <laughs> if you believe it works after 25 years, I feel like you really should be doubling down on it, which is exactly what you're doing. You're saying, okay, I'm doing it. Yeah. So, and one of the markers we actually look in the muscle is this PGCA. And in and, and one month, we have actually published that, that this molecule can increase the expression of PGC1A, which means biogenesis is already starting to happen. So, yeah. Wow. And guys, if you're, you haven't read my books or you just didn't remember it, PGC1A is what happens when you exercise. So it's kind of an exercise mimetic thing. Things that raise PGC1A, funny enough, they make you lose weight. <laughs> they suppress hunger and they're generally good for you. Although too much nicotine is probably not good for you, but a little bit probably is. So reminding me, I should stick a patch on or chew some gum or something, but I'm not going to chew gum on a show because it's gross. All right. Um, you, are you up for a question from the Upgrade Collective? Lisa has a good one that I'd sure. love to work in here. Absolutely. All right. Shoot it. Chris, let's patch her in. Okay. So I'm wondering, is a higher dose of Pure better for mold toxicity or any mast cell? 
symptoms one might have? Uh, good question. Uh, we have not uh, studied, uh, let's say, the immunological effects uh, of uh, Mitopure. This is an active area of research. A lot of uh, academic groups, have, you know, since our publication have started studying it. Uh, they've been studying uh, models of IBD. They've been studying models of uh, um, neurodegeneration. And, and in these sort of, at least the model of IBD, they, they looked at uh, they saw that it had an anti-inflammatory effect. Uh, so I, I would, hypothetically, I would say probably yes, but uh, we have not done any clinical studies or looked into that direction. Uh, thanks, Dr. Singh. The 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 bottom line, I, I would say, from everything I've studied, is that if you want to live a long time and you want to turn off inflammation, Inflammation is the opposite side of the coin for for mitochondrial function. So when mitochondria work better, you have less inflammation, almost by definition. And then to make them work better, there's stop using toxins that directly affect mitochondria and make sure that the weak ones get the hell out. <laughs> and MitoPure is that latter part. But as you do that over time, of course, athletic performance is going to go up because you're doing a better job of turning air and food into electrons. And that means your immune system to work better too. Yeah, I immune cells have mitochondria too. So we just chose to study muscle because an active muscle has about 2,000, active muscle cell has about 2,000 mitochondria. So it's just the most active organ uh, or cell in our body, the muscle cell that it requires ATP and consumes ATP at a higher uh, uh, rate. Immune cells, on the other hand, have about 200 mitochondria. So, you know, should, so anything that is ha having an impact on mitochondria and mitophagy, it, it's going to be irrespective, you know, just not muscle cell. It's going to have an effect uh, on other cell types too. In my mind, the number one thing you can do at any age <laughs> to either age backwards or not age and perform better uh, is mitochondrial enhancement because it seems like even mitophagy itself, once your mitochondria start working a little bit better, maybe because you took some compound that helped them that wasn't for mitophagy, you have to have enough electricity to run the body and enough electricity to rebuild the body. So if you kick your energy levels up a little bit, maybe with acetyl-L-carnitine, maybe with uh, D-ribose, anything like that, and you have uh, urolithin A or mitopure on board, the body says, oh, now I have enough energy to... And then it says, all right, what's the repair system that's next on the rung of priorities that it has? And it's a relatively simplistic model, but at the end of the day, when you boil out all the network effects, it seems like that's what the body does. Like this one was more important than that one. Let's fill that part of the waterfall and then go up to the next one. So I, I feel like you want to have enough energy to build new mitochondria instead of just run weak ones. So there's a little bump that's required, which may be something like combining fasting with this. So you have some ketones present. Does it seem like a good strategy? I know you probably haven't studied that. But. No, in, uh, in a lot of uh, studies that we published, uh, actually, uh, not in clinical studies, but in our uh, sort of uh, animal models and worms that were fasting, this actually increased the, the autophagy. So fasting induces autophagy and, and adding uh, urolithin A to, to that regimen actually had a very additive effect. Uh, and that was shown in this beautiful nature medicine paper. So I, and exercise would be another way. Exercise uh, is another way to stimulate mitophagy. Uh, you just need to be doing it regularly. 
And so if you're, you know, that's where I see, and that's why we are actually running studies now in athletes, uh, where we are starting to ask the question, can we actually take high performance people, you know, people with VO2s of 70, can we add this to their regimen and can it help boost, uh, their performance and, or most importantly, their recovery? Because, you know, training does have an impact or training sometimes has an impact on mitochondrial level too. That is, uh, it's fantastic. So you've, you've got to get a stimulus in as well. So you should probably sprint every now and then or do some squats or <laughs> whatever high intensity interval or for cardio endurance and spe- specifically, even that, uh, it, it seems to be that high intensity interval training works followed by longer walks or very slow jogs. So if you were doing any of those sorts of things for an endurance event and you're taking MitoPure, you're likely to, over the course of a couple of months, see some improvement in mitochondrial function, even if you're already a pretty good athlete. So you did a, a study with a, a very uh, well-known scientist, uh, well-known among scientists, uh, Dr. Louise Burke, who's spent 40 years as a sports dietitian and has 350 papers published and has written a few textbooks on sports nutrition. What did you guys find when you collaborated on the latest research you've done on MitoPure? Yeah, so this is an ongoing study, Dave. Uh, this is a study uh, that, that was uh, designed by Luis. Uh, she came to us and said, well, a lot of uh, elite athletes, runners, triathletes, uh, they typically, you know, they, they go before a big race, uh, they do training. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, they have to do multiple races uh, in, in a, let's say, in an active season, and, and they struggle to maintain their level of performance. And, and, and so recovery is a big issue. So the muscle recovery and, and to maintain sort of their peak performance from race to race is a big issue. And so she said, well, I think being on, on MitoPure could help these athletes uh, potentially recover faster and maintain and the way it could do it is sort of uh, through mitophagy uh, recycle the waste and the toxins accumulated by by sort of overtraining and overstimulation of the muscle uh, sort of machinery and so this is what we are testing uh, we, we don't have the final results yet uh, you know we are uh, dealing with covid 19 throwing a spanner in some of the clinical research programs but uh, hopefully early to mid next year we, we will have great data uh, this is being done in australia with really uh, Olympic. Oh, you uh, picked the worst country ever, except for maybe <laughs> Canada to do anything. in. okay. <laughs> um, your hypothesis for this is one that made me happy that you're doing research on it. And it was that overtraining in athletes induces mitochondrial dysfunction. And I, I think I experienced this when I was uh, a young, a younger person. I was maybe 24 uh, I had weighed 300 pounds and I said, I'm going to work out six days a week, an hour and a half a day. And I'd max out all the machines at the gym, except for two. And then I'd hop on the treadmill with weights at an angle, you know, weighted backpack. And I just did it six days a week and went on the low fat, low calorie diet. Didn't lose any weight over 18 months. I got stronger, but I think I had even worse mitochondrial function because I just didn't do any of that recovery stuff. Uh, and it's one of those things where something's good, more must be better, and you, you do it until you're exhausted. What what are you seeing around overtraining? Um, and you know, do you think that you've proven the hypothesis so far? And I know it might appear as helping with that, but did you did you find a result that you could say yes, 100 percent clear that that's a problem? 
Yeah, so this is something that is being investigated a lot. There was a, uh, not not by us, but by a Swedish group uh, recently published a very high impact paper in uh, in the journal Cell Metabolism, where they took uh, athletes uh, and they kept on you know adding uh, training regimens week after week. The intensity of the training uh, increased, and over time, they of course with any training they saw improvements in mitochondrial health. But after a while, the system started to crash, and and, and it's been known this is called over training some folks call it overreaching some call it you know plateau whatever but what they found was that this sort of overtraining induced uh, performance that was because of poor mitochondria function and, and, and that was just not offsetting performance it was offsetting the the athlete's metabolism uh, especially they had higher blood glucose peaks you know after and then they, there was a recovery period after which you know where the athletes stopped training and, and then the body recovered and they were back to but what was very key was this sort of uh, window where athletes were overtraining where the performance dipped and that was described ascribed to uh, a mitochondrial dysfunction very, uh, very interesting. So we get mitochondrial dysfunction from over-exercising. And interestingly, in that study, it also decreased glucose tolerance. And a lot of people who are listening are going through that where they say, okay, you know, I, I understand I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have high glucose, right? But these are, are mitochondria that are so damaged or stressed that they can't actually handle sugar, which they should love, right? So it's, it's a disrupted network, you could say. And they found this in free-living elite endurance athletes. Uh, I've said for many years now that endurance athleticism isn't a good way to live a long time. But there's one or two studies that show ultra-extreme 100-mile runner types, um, if they can do it without getting injured, which is a very small number, uh, but that they do have lengthened telomeres. Have you seen any association between mitopere and telomeres being longer? Mm, honestly, no. I, we have never looked at telomere biology, um, and uh, one of the reasons is we have such a specific mechanism of action through mitophagy and and, and uh, you know renewal of these mitochondria. That uh, yeah, uh, in honesty, we haven't explored that biological. I, I don't think you'll see a difference. I don't think you'll see a lengthening from what mitopure does. But if you took mitopure for quite a while. And someone had more free electricity for repair processes. I think you probably would see a slowing of the shortening of the telomeres. Maybe I think you'll need to do long-term studies for that. Yeah. yeah, those are expensive and hard to do, and and probably will never be done. And that's one of the challenges for all the anti-aging stuff that I do. You're saying, well, here's a mechanism of action. We understand it pretty well. We know the basic direction. So, if you had to bet which one of these is going to make you live longer, I'll take the bet that I think is most likely. And I could be wrong, but given the alternative, which is, you know, eating hot dogs and uh, drinking diet soda, I'm pretty sure I'm winning. <laughs> so there's always that. Uh, here's a question from Hara uh, in the Upgrade Collective, um, who's put it through in our little chat window here during the, during the show. Uh, she's wondering whether you could combine this with breathwork practices, which are, you know, reducing oxygen and increasing carbon dioxide. Any thoughts on breath work plus mitopure? Uh, potentially, yeah. Uh, breath analytics could be utilized. I mean, that's how a lot of uh, exercise tolerance studies are done, uh, you know, looking at the gas uh, exchange, and uh, that's how we look at VO2 kind of levels. 
but uh, I think the question is referring to certain breath uh, biopsies. Like pranayama or Wim Hof exercises or any of the other things like James Nestor has written about recently. There's a lot going on with carbon dioxide versus oxygen levels and retention. Yeah, this is a, let's say, upcoming field of research, but we haven't looked into it, Dave. Uh, and you can always count on the Upgrade Collective to say, how do we combine all these cool biohacks uh, that we've learned about uh, to get the most effects? Uh, another question, uh, well, actually, guys, it's a question about you know, how do we make MitoPure available for more people? But I, I don't think asking a research scientist about that is is um, is the right thing. You're, you're not in charge of pricing and packaging and distribution. Uh, so is it easy to make though as a molecule or are you mostly just getting it already made and then you, uh, you're seeing what it does in humans and animals and stuff like well, that? Well, y- yes, it's, it's not too difficult to make with, with the, the right chem, you know, sort of chemistry knowledge. Um, but, but one of the things we, and this may interest your audience, one of the things we are developing is a, is a MitoPure challenge test. So it's, it's a kit, it's a sort of consumer health kit that looks like this. Oh, cool. So it, you have to take a, a, a small uh, blood prick test, uh, you know, in a card called before so you, you just prick your with a lancet and you put some uh, uh, blood spots and, and you can drink juice as well you can drink ju- juice or eat bowl of nuts and and you can know uh, if you are actually a natural urolithin producer and then you can take uh, this one sachet and then repeat the test called after with a few blood spots and send it to our lab and we'll be able to tell you a if you are a natural producer and the, the, the delta difference you will get from, you know, just taking this. Wow. So this is a test. Uh, we, we are actually running a, a home-based study. If your folks are interested, uh, I, we can share the link and, and they can, you know, try the beta version. Okay. I will send this out to the Upgrade Collective members. There's all kinds of discounts and other cool things uh, that you get when you're in the Upgrade Collective. By the way, if you're listening going, I want to be in the live audience, ourupgradecollective.com is how you sign up for my mentorship and membership group. It's uh, it's intriguing. You guys haven't even sent me one of those test kits yet, but I, I have great respect for that. Uh, the idea that, oh, if you're taking a vitamin and you can test that it's working, that's a really good thing to do so you can see if it's if it's worth it for you. In fact, yeah, everyone's exploding with excitement right now on on our group chat during the episode. Uh, so that study, I'm I'm excited and I'll make yeah, happy sure to send you one. Happy to send you. We just uh, got the first uh, 200 beta kits. Uh, happy to send you one and, and send your if you want to participate, send your samples to our lab and uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, does it matter if I take MitoPure with? a larger amount of prebiotic, you know, a bunch of acacia gum or something or with fat uh, or with protein, do any of them help with absorption? No, not at all. Actually, in our first uh, human studies, we actually tested this. We gave it on an empty stomach, uh, in, you know, in a fasted state or with a high protein and sort of in a yogurt matrix and to see if high protein and, and the, the the levels uh, we get in the blood are identical. Uh, so, in fact, we now even have a product with high protein, uh, 20 grams of uh, protein plus uh, MitoPure 500 milligrams because, you know, with the idea that protein builds muscle mass and then the MitoPure gives you better energetics and strength. So, no, actually, it's, I think, uh, beneficial if you combine them. Okay, got it. So, there's there's no... There's really not stability issues. I mean, you can take it, you can mix it into hot coffee and it works fine. <laughs> you can take it with protein or anything. So the absorption rate is pretty much as if your gut bacteria had done it. Um, when I take timeline, I know, uh, let me rephrase that. 
I know that there are certain compounds, when you take them, they cause your gut bacteria to make more of them. Um, glutathione is one of them in some people and things like butyric acid. If you take a butyric acid capsule, you're more likely to make gut bacteria that make butyric acid. So part of my anti-aging strategy is I'd like little manufacturing plants called my microbiome to make the good stuff and not the bad stuff. It, it's kind of easy, but of course you don't have much control. It's a very complex system. It's like managing an ecosystem. It's kind of hard to do. Look what a great job we're doing on the planet right now. Monsanto, I'm talking to you. I mean, Bayer. Uh, but aside from all of that stuff, what about uh, what about just taking your lithin A for a while and then having your gut bacteria make more of it and actually make those producers of your lithin A and then taking a month off, right? There are people in Upgrade Collective who are on different budgets and some people are saying, well, can I pulse this? Is there benefits to pulsing it? Can I teach my bacteria? So talk to me about pulsing, cycling, and training your gut bacteria to handle ellagic acid. Uh it's fantastic. There's a lot of questions hidden in that one question. Sorry, so, yeah, it was, I'm, a, I'm a bad interviewer at this no, point. No, no, no. Butyrate <laughs> is a great example, uh, by the way. Butyrate is, is a perfect example of a postbiotic. So urolitin A, you know, butyrate is good for your gut health. A similar analogy is urolitin A is great uh, uh, postbiotic for your muscle and mitochondrial health, you know, with the axis of uh, microbiome and mitochondria. So for, on the pulsatality, uh, we have not done uh, once a day or twice a day sort of, you know, what is the impact on absorption? This is something that is uh, currently in the works and we are planning that. Longer term studies, longer than four months, we haven't done uh, as well. What we have done is in one of our studies, we have looked at the gut microbiome uh, of uh, people, uh, well, a couple of studies. We looked at the gut microbiome of people who actually make it versus don't make it. And definitely the, the gut microbiome of people who produce your Latin A is much richer and more diverse uh, compared to those who don't make it. Um, and, and what we have seen is over time, if you supplemented over four months, for example, and then again, look at if the gut microbiome suddenly changed. No, uh, the answer is you, you don't really, uh, it's a postbiotic. So it's, it's, it's like the end result of a healthy microbiome, but it doesn't really induce uh, big changes on, on the gut microbiome. Okay. Per se. So it's a postbiotic, but it's not one that causes a change in the behavior of gut bacteria. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really just bypassing them to give you the benefits as if you had stupendous numbers of the good ones making your olefin A. Uh, so what would happen if I was on Mitopure for 10 years straight? The analogy I like to give is, is I always show the slide where, you know, I show uh, muscles of exercising people who have been exercising all their life and, and how they're looking at 70, 70, 80 years old. And then I show in parallel a four-week intervention how muscles look like, and they look almost identical. Uh, uh, so the question is, uh, really, you know, uh, how long should I be exercising? Uh, we're hitting the same biology, uh, same sort of pathways. Now, we, of course, we have not done studies longer than four months, as you mentioned, over a year or two years. But it's a nutrient. It's like, uh, you know, to make an, another analogy, it's like a vitamin C of aging. Uh, so, you know, would you stop exercising? Would you stop eating a healthy diet? No, you'll take it. Uh, uh, the kinetics, the way it works is that, as I told you, it, it has a half-life, which means that it you know, kind of disappears from your bloodstream in about a day. So it, it's it's daily administration that you need to maintain enough uh, what we call as therapeutic levels in the blood. Okay, got it. That's a pretty clear answer. So guys, what you'd want to do is take it often. And I take it uh, pretty much straight all the time because I think the research is there. Uh, and the fact that you've seen improvements in exercise performance 
is a really good sign and that you're doing really hardcore science, way more than you would see for a typical supplement, which has me excited. Uh, so I, I think, I think that you're looking at uh, a foundational thing. And if someone said, all right, I'm going to do this for one month and then take a month off and do it for a month, is it better to do that versus two weeks on two weeks off? There are people on budgets. Yeah, I, I think you you have to stick to the first two months at least to, to see the, the, the impact. And, and, and then the question is, can I lower the dose or up the dose or, or how should I, you know, switch it? The honest answer, I mean, we are a science-driven company, so we still you don't know. We don't know. So <laughs> okay. we need to honest do, answer. We, okay. we need to do more trials and we need to, you know, add more evidence uh, on the plate. Here's what I would do in answer to the question from our upgrade collective member who asked it. Uh, I would do it for two months the way we just learned from Dr. Singh. And then if you have to take a month or two off, great, then do it for two months, right? So you may go up, you may go down, you may go up, you may go down. And if if I've learned anything about keto uh, by testing it out before I wrote the Bulletproof Diet and all, it's cycling is always uh, at least okay <laughs> and usually better than steady state. So in this case, I think steady state is a good idea for, for MitoPure, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, but if you had to do it, I don't think cycling is going to cause more harm. <laughs> so you're saying, all right, I had a period of great mitochondrial refreshing and a period of less good and a period of great good. Uh, and then you saved some uh, some budget there, which is okay. But my recommendation would be just do it all the time if it's within reach and your goal is to live a long time. And my final question for you, Dr. Singh, what about cognitive performance? I mean, I'm into my nootropics, have been for years, and I've got 40 years of Zen where I have people coming doing very high-end brain work. Have you done any studies or seen any anecdotal results around measures of neurological performance versus just physical performance? Uh, great question again. So there's a lot of research uh, going on around this molecule. Actually, Buck Institute of Aging in California just got a multi multi million grant from the National Institute of Health to study the effects of urolithinase on on the cognitive uh, uh, aging and how it can reverse some of the neuronal circuitry to look youthful. So uh, we aren't actively looking at it. But we are keeping our eyes and ears open for exactly feedback like this because brain cells also after muscle cells have the highest number of mitochondria that decline with aging. So, yeah. You know, it'd be really cool. They have these these places where you can go and you can bet on almost anything, like an election outcome, just any random thing you can bet on. And it turns out that betting markets are ridiculously good at predicting outcomes. We need like a scientific betting process because having written a book on cognitive function improvements via mitochondrial function, I'd put a lot of whatever sort of cryptocurrency gold or uh, rapidly declining fiat currency uh, on a bet that that study is going to show positive results. In fact, if we had a scientific betting market, we could probably just quit doing science. We'd all just bet and we get the same results. What do you think? I, I think you're you're onto something there. Probably uh, uh, it's not a bad idea to make uh, scientists more aware of uh, uh, how they can commercialize stuff. Uh, but I think uh, I'll talk about my experience there. You know, as I mentioned, I've been taking it for about a year. Um, you know, I'm a busy guy with the kids, young kids who you know uh, kind of wear me down. And but since I have taken the product, I, I do. You know, here I'm at eight thirty at my time talking to you, and uh, I, I feel more. Attentive I feel uh, more energy. So energy is uh, just not in the muscle. So I, I think you're probably right. Re time will tell, research will tell in the long term, but uh, 
probably it's uh, an area to, to focus on and do some research with your Litineo might appear in, in your recognition. Okay, so there's more to be found there. And I thought that was my final question, but Joanne just jumped in. Thanks, Joanne, right at the end. Uh, great question. Any changes in sleep from MitoPure that you guys have come across? No, but we have heard uh, some, let's say, anecdotal uh, feedback that people are, are, are seeing impact on waking up more fresh. Um, and, and, and this does uh, sort of uh, have an impact. This is, again, something we need to, to look further in. But, uh, you know, that's the beautiful aspect of now seeing it go into real world is now we're getting these great feedbacks. And now you can hear the consumer feedback and actually see where to focus your research beyond uh, just focusing on muscle health. So, yeah, this would be something uh, on the top of our research table. There you go. If you can focus on uh, muscle stuff, uh, you should look at erectile dysfunction and hair growth. And if you can just conquer those markets, you guys are going to be cabillionaires. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you look at where people spend their dollars, that is a ridiculous percentage of it. And probably Brazilian butt lifts should be in there as well. Uh, but I'm glad you're focusing on aging and uh, and the performance you're doing because those actually matter more. And those other things are are very far downstream outcomes from having good health. But that's where people want to they want to put their money there first. Well, Doctor Singh, thank you for the work you're doing with MitoPure, guys. TimelineNutrition.com, and you can use code Upgrade10, and they'll give you 10% off the plan of your choice. I'm on the whole year long subscription plan, so it just arrives every month. It comes in a nice case and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I, I just think it's worth your time if you're on either a, an athletic angle or an anti aging angle, or potentially, we don't have proof, but I'd bet on it. Uh, a neurological, I want my brain to work better angle. Uh, or you just want mitochondria that are stronger than your neighbors. You could just be a mito geek. That's cool too. So timelinenutrition.com and it's code upgrade 10. Dr. Singh, thanks again for being on The Human Upgrade. It was an absolute pleasure, Dave. Thank you for having me. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.